I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to cover this morning, verse 1 through 21, in a message entitled, Imitators. And you'll get a chance here in just a little bit to understand what that title is all about. And with it being Father's Day weekend, I have a special treat for you this morning, church. And uh, Didi, if you'll uh, go ahead and put that up on the screen for me this morning. Growing up, I wanted to be just like my dad. I mean, everything about my dad stuck out to me as a kid. I thought he was the strongest man in the world. My dad could fix anything. Didn't matter what was broken. I thought sometimes he would break stuff just to fix it. He could fix anything. He could cut down a tree and chop it up for firewood. My dad loved to work on vehicles, and so he taught me how to change the oil and change the tires. He was the epic man, and if you see those pictures, I always wanted a mustache. I mean, isn't that mustache epic? But growing up, I wanted to be just like my dad. I would imitate my dad. I'd try to talk like him. I'd try to walk like him. He was an incredible athlete in his younger years and continued to try that in church league softball. And so I was at the games and I would watch him. I wanted to play just like him. There's people today, and Didi, if you'll go to that next picture, they say that I look like my dad. You know, it's interesting that many of us probably felt the same way about our parents. Maybe you had a dad that you wanted to be like, a mom that you wanted to be like, and you would imitate them. It's always interesting to walk and to see kids as they walk around that look and try to imitate their parents. What we're going to see in the text this morning as we begin to work through it together is Paul challenged the believers who are in Ephesus to imitate God in their lives. That they would look like Jesus. That their lives would be characterized by imitating their Savior. And so as we begin to work through the text this morning, would you look with me beginning in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to walk through verse 21 this morning. Here's what Paul writes. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. 
Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. As we dive into these verses in Ephesians chapter 5 this morning, I want to remind you of where we have been traveling over the last number of weeks together in this important book written to a group of believers in an important city in Rome outside of that location where things were a bit chaotic, were a bit hectic where Christianity was often being persecuted, where believers, it was costing them something to live out the truth of the gospel at work in their lives. And so as Paul is writing to this group of believers, he wants them to be reminded of what Christ has done in their lives. He wants them to be grounded in their identity in Christ. And so he spent the first three chapters in the book of Ephesians reminding over and over and over and over again what has transpired in their lives by trusting in Jesus Christ as their Savior. What has been rearranged? What has changed? What has happened in their lives that has brought about a total transformation of their lives so that they are in relationship with their heavenly Father? Paul wants them and wants us to recognize when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, what transpires in our lives. You know, as we look in these latter chapters in the book of Ephesians, Paul is going to say a number of things. He's going to lay out for us and for the believers here 
in light of what Christ has done in your life, in light of your identity in Christ, this is what your life should look like. This is how you should walk out the Christian life. Now, if we miss the first three chapters and just go to the latter chapters in the book of Ephesians, we in our own strength and in our own power will try to live out the Christian life, but Paul knows it is impossible in our own power and our own strength to do that. It's the reason he has spent so much time helping us understand what Christ has done for us, that he has given us a new heart, he has given us new desires, he has given us a new way of life. And it's not by our strength and our power. It is by His strength and His power at work in us. And so in the last chapter, Paul has laid out for us here in light of what Christ has done for you. This is what your life should look like in the church. He talked about every single member being a minister, having a part to play, a role in the body of Christ to fulfill the mission that God has given us. And then last week he says in the broader culture, in this world that we live in, here is how we are to live. Here's what it looks like to be different from the world around us. And he is going to continue that here in the first part of chapter 5. If you notice, I want you to write down this first important main idea that will frame our time together this morning. The greatest evidence of our identity in Jesus Christ is being an imitator of Him. The greatest proof in our lives that we are followers of Jesus is that we look like Him. In the same way that I wanted to look like my dad, that I wanted to be just like my dad, for us as believers, that desire should be true for us as well. We should want to look like Jesus. In fact, Paul, in writing another letter, has said to a group of believers, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Notice beginning in verse 1, Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes the word, therefore, in light of all that has come before this, in light of our identity in Christ, what Christ has done in our lives, in light of what he has called us to live out both in the church and in the culture, he continues here and says, therefore, be imitators of of God as beloved children. We could just stop there and take that home and chew on it for the next week. What would it look like for us as believers to seek to imitate the Lord? What would it look like for us in our lives, in the power and the strength of the Spirit of God at work within us to look like Jesus? People oftentimes look at believers and they say, if Jesus hasn't transformed the way you live your life, why would I want that? 
And what happened in the early church is that it was actually a derogatory term lodged at believers to be called Christians, which simply means little Christs. And so the outside world was looking at believers and they were saying, you know what? You act like Jesus. Well, church, isn't that what we want? Don't we want to look and to act like Jesus? Our Savior, that is who we should want to look and act like. And here, Paul says to this group of believers in Ephesus, that's exactly what you should desire. That's exactly what you should want in your life as a believer to imitate God. To look like Christ. When we think about imitating God, it's very important for us to recognize and understand that you may look and think ethereally that God is spirit. How am I supposed to look and to act like him? And the truth is in sending his son to this earth. In the incarnation, when Jesus took on skin, we see God on earth. Very second person of the Trinity, we see what Jesus is like. We see his heart, and we can look at that and say, what would God act like? How would God live his life? How would he do this? We see Jesus, and we go, that's how. And so for us, in being imitators of God, we should look like Jesus Christ. I want you to notice, as we continue on, write down this first truth that we see. It's in verses 1 and 2. We imitate Jesus when we walk in love. I want you to notice that Paul is using over and over again that word walk. And what he means by that is here's what your life is characterized by. So if you rewind just a bit in Ephesians chapter 2, what you'll recognize and remember is that in verses 1 through 3, Paul has laid out for us, here is what your life used to look like before you met Jesus. That you were dead in your sins and trespasses. You were deserving of God's wrath against your sin. That you were without hope in this world apart from Jesus Christ. And he says you were walking in your sin. You were characterized by your sin. But here, Paul laying out for us, once Christ has transformed our lives, first we should be characterized. Our lives should be marked by love. Believer, let me ask you this question. Could you say this morning that your life is marked by love? Say, Pastor Michael, what kind of love are you talking about? Well, he gives us the answer. Second part of verse 2, walk in love. What does that look like? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What does it look like to walk in love? What does it look like for our lives as believers to be characterized by love? Well, he gives us the ultimate example here to which we all look at and say, gee, thanks, Paul, right? You want me to love like Jesus loves? And he says, absolutely. Well, what does that love look like? He says here, 
Christ loved us, and notice here, gave himself up for us. What was the depth of Christ's love for us? It was so deep and so vast and so wide that he laid his life down for us. So what does that mean for us as believers? For our lives to be characterized by love simply means for us to be willing to lay our lives down for others as well. Dads, let's think about that in relation to you and your kids, to me and to my kids. What does it look like for me to lay my life down for them? Well, you can go to the biggest scenario and say, I would give my life physically, take a bullet, whatever it takes, step in front of a car for my kids. I would do that. But what about daily laying my life down for them? Dads, what does it look like for us to lay our lives down for our kids? Maybe it looks like for us actually paying attention when we're at home with them. Amen or ouch? Put the cell phone down for a second. Turn the TV off for a little bit. And actually engage with them in conversation, spending time with your kids. You say, man, I've been working all day. I don't care. Will you lay your life down for them? Love them well. What about your spouse? Husbands? We're going to talk about this next week, and so I already had somebody say, Pastor, I know you're talking about husbands and wives next week, and I'm going to be out of town. (laughs) You probably should cancel vacation to be here next week, okay? But let me ask that. Are you willing to walk in love with your spouse to lay your life down for them? What about for people in our community and your sphere of influence who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior? What does it look like for you and for me to lay our lives down so that they would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that they would look at our lives and see our lives marked by the same love that Christ has for them? You know, it's interesting that Paul says here, Christ loved us, gave himself, laid his life down for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It was the Lord Jesus Christ's act of worship. It was his obedience to his heavenly father to lay his life down so that we could be forgiven of our sins. So the question lies at our doorstep as well. Are we willing to worship the Lord in the way that we love others? One of the things that Jesus said is that his disciples would be known not by the great sermons that they preach, They would be known by their love for one another. So for you and for me, if we are followers of Jesus this morning, we look and we say, if we're going to imitate Christ, if we're going to imitate what it means to walk in relationship with our heavenly father, it's going to look like us loving well. 
You look and you may ask the question, man, if I were to do what you're saying, pastor, it's going to cost me something. Absolutely. It costs Jesus his life. It's worth it. It's worth it for us as believers to lay our lives down for others to love them well. You notice Paul continues on and says not only are we to imitate Christ when we walk in love, but we imitate Christ when we walk in light. Look with me beginning in verse 3 and walking down through verse 14. Paul says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. I want you to key in with me on verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. For us, verse 6 gives us the context of what Paul has laid out beginning in verse 3. What's going on in the city of Ephesus is that there are people who are very far from God who are trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior. And there are some who have popped up within the church or within the broader culture who are saying to these believers whose lives have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, hey, it's okay for you to still live like you used to live. It's okay for you to be sexually immoral. It's not that big of a deal. It's okay for you to want what you can't have, to be an idolater. That's okay. It's okay to allow your language and your talking to be marked by filthiness. He says here, it's not that big of a deal. And Paul says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't allow them to deceive you in that. Paul says to these believers here, if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, if you've been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, your life should look like it has been. For anyone who would stand up and say that when you meet Jesus, you can continue living however you want to live, that is not in Scripture. It's not there. And here, Paul is emphasizing that. Now, you look at the context of what's going on in Ephesus at this point in time, and you realize that this society was marked by idol worship. That this society was marked by much of what he describes here. And there were some who were saying, listen, just calm down a bit on this Jesus thing. Yeah, trust Jesus, that's fine, but you can, you can still live however you want to live. And for Paul, Paul says, no, 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 no. You've got to recognize when Jesus Christ has transformed your life, he transforms everything. 
Now you may look and you say, well, it's not immediate, and sometimes it's not, but for you and for I as followers of Jesus, progressively walking with Jesus in our lives helps us put sin away from our lives and for us to be marked by righteousness. Paul says that here. Notice in the last part of verse 6, He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Say, what's the danger here? Well, the danger here, Paul is saying, is that for you and for I who claim the name of Christ, if our life does not match that, then there is a real question of whether or not Jesus Christ has changed our lives. I want you to hear me this morning. There are thousands of people sitting in churches who think they have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but the reality is their lives are not marked by transformation. Their lives are not marked by looking different from the world around us that doesn't know Jesus Christ. And Paul says here, if that is the case for you, question whether or not you have a relationship or not with Jesus Christ. He says in verse 7, Therefore do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now... You are light in the Lord. Notice this word. Walk as children of light. Let your life as a believer, one, be marked by love, but two, here, he says, be marked by light. What does that look like? Verse 9, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. For us as believers, our lives should be marked by fruitfulness in righteousness is what Paul says here. So ask yourself that question if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning. What kind of fruit is my life producing? If someone from the outside were to look at my life, what would they say about my life? Could they look and say, gosh, I see fruit on growing on that tree. I see fruit of righteousness that is marked in your life. Verse 10, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes Visible for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. For us as followers of Jesus, marked by light, marked by righteousness, what Paul says is that that's going to make an impact in a dark world that's far from Jesus. Think about this with me for just a second. If the stats are true, and eight out of ten people in this community that we call home 
do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then that means for us who call the name of Christ, who are believers, that every single day we are walking in a world around us that is marked, Paul says, here by darkness. And for us as followers of Jesus Christ who are walking in the light, it means that we are the light that is walking into this darkness. And when light walks into the darkness, it exposes what's going on in the darkness. And Paul says for us here, that's our job and our responsibility. For us as believers to walk as children of the light. To expose the darkness for what it is. To expose the brokenness that is there. To make it evident that a life separated from Jesus Christ has no hope. But for us who are followers of Jesus, we are carrying the light that they desperately need. Paul says, beginning in verse 15, and the third truth, not only are we to imitate Jesus by walking in love and by walking in light, but the third truth, by walking in wisdom. He says in verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You know, working in student ministry for a number of years and spending time with college students, I would have the question always asked, Pastor, I, what's God's will for my life? Some of you may be asking that question this morning. I just wish I knew. I wish God would write it in the clouds what his will for my life is. Here you go. What is God's will for our lives? It says in verse 17, don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Verse 18, do not get drunk with wine. For that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. What's the will of the Lord in our lives? For the Holy Spirit of God to fill us. Well, what is the evidence of that? He says in verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, the truth is, at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit of God comes and indwells every single believer and fills our lives. And hear what Paul is saying to the believers in Ephesus is this reality. Do you want a life that makes an impact in this culture in which we live? Do you want that to be true of your life? then God's will for every single one of us is to yield ourselves 
to his plan and his purpose at work through us. You say, Michael, hang on just a second. I just wanted to know what God's will is for my life. That's it. God wants to use you wherever you are to make an impact for his name. How does that happen when he is in control of your life and you've given up the reins? That's God's will for you. That he is so in control of your life that he is at work through you and in you for his glory and for his purpose. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning as our worship team makes their way back up. I want to ask you a simple question. Maybe you've come in this morning and the reality is that there's no way that you can imitate Christ because you don't have a relationship with Him. And yet this morning, you have an opportunity before the Lord today to recognize that there's no way that you can save yourself from your sin. That your only hope is what Jesus Christ accomplished for you on the cross. Paying your debt of sin. Absorbing the wrath of God poured out against your sin. Dying, being buried, but not staying dead. He was raised on the third day, securing salvation for you through Him. And if you're here this morning and you know that the next step that you need to take is trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior in just a few minutes as we begin to sing. I want to encourage you to step out from where you are, to make your way down here to the front, to grab my hand or Pastor Aaron's hand. Just say the word Jesus. And we'll know that that's the desire of your heart to take that step. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, you've taken that step. The question that sits before you and before me this morning is, are our lives marked by being imitators of Jesus? Are we walking in love? Would our lives be characterized in that way? And if not, This is an opportunity for you to spend some time in prayer before the Lord this morning and say, God, help me understand just how much Jesus loves me. Help me grasp the truth of His infinite love for me. Love that would send Him to the cross to lay His life down. Help me rest in that and then help me imitate that in my family and my job in this community help me love people the way that you loved me when I wasn't deserving 
Maybe for you this morning, as we talked about walking in the light, you're a follower of Jesus, but the truth is you've been dwelling for a season in darkness. Right now, there's sin that is present in your life that you need to confess to the Lord. You need to ask God's forgiveness and you need to seek His righteousness. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you as we sing to spend some time asking the Lord to shine His light in the darkness of your heart, to expose that sin. And then the question for us as believers this morning, are we walking in wisdom? Are we filled by the Spirit? Is He at control in our lives, working for His plan and for His purpose in this world? Maybe this morning for you, you need to spend some time in prayer before the Lord, yielding to Him. Yielding your desires, yielding your wants, yielding your relationships, yielding, wanting to be in control and recognizing that you want Him in control. Father, would you use this time in our lives? Spirit work and apply the truths of the scriptures to our hearts. Help us to respond to you as you've called us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand. I invite you to sing with us and the worship team this morning. If you need to talk with someone, we'll be down front. If you need to spend some time in prayer on your knees before the Lord, I want to encourage you to do that this morning. You respond.